The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer America. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Let's call it the Great American Snag. Yeah, the snag. It's that moment where we realize that we're not going to have a Roaring Twenties-style boom because a third of the country refuses to get vaccinated, and their intransigence is snagging the whole darn economy. Despite a sedate day for the average, Dow launching up 25 points, has to be advancing 0.20%. NASDAQ gaining 0.36%. A good show given the strong gains from yesterday and the day before. We are seeing some classic signs of worry about the durability of this recovery. If you go back to a little over a year ago, it felt like we were on the eve of a second Great Depression, as most companies connected to travel and leisure and retail were forced to shut down. Now, we've never seen anything like that in living memory. At the time, everybody believed that there was no quick fix. The experts said it could take years to develop an effective vaccine before COVID. The fastest vaccine ever created still took four years. And that was against something called the mumps that I actually had. So the government poured money into the economy to keep the consumers... And the companies on life support until we found a solution. The goal was to keep the lights on. That's all. Uh, while making it possible for people to stay home and avoid infecting each other. Practically overnight, we abandoned central offices, built new homes away from the cities, outfitted these homes with equipment for work and entertainment from Netflix to video games. And then we hunkered down by stocking our pantries. We settled down to quiet lives with outdoor activities. That was our savior, right? Campers, boats, barbecues. Then boom. Late last fall, Moderna and Pfizer came along and solved the problem. It would have been great if they came up with vaccines that were, say, 50% effective, like the annual flu shot. Instead, they were both borderline miraculous, 94 to 95% efficacy. More like the polio vaccine, where President Eisenhower practically wiped out that once-dreaded disease. Of course, those were very different times. Eisenhower ordered us to get vaccinated, and we lined up at high schools all over the country. We considered it, yes, our patriotic duty. Also, our not being an idiot duty, because who the heck wanted to get polio? 
Even with the vaccines, our government was desperate not to repeat the mistakes of the Great Recession, where the stimulus was way too small. Economy stagnated for years. This time we spent trillions upon trillions of dollars to create jobs and also pay people to stay home, generous unemployment benefits. We're simultaneously paying you to work and to avoid COVID-infested workplaces. Which brings me to the great American snag. Most businesses have doctors. Their doctors tell them to get the vaccine. The government tries to entice you to take it, too. But what was once begged for now goes begging. Millions of vaccine doses are on the verge of being thrown away because a large swath of the country wants to live free or die, perhaps from COVID. Now cases are surging again. It's taking a toll on the economy. How does the snag manifest itself? Well, first, the people who buy risk-free treasuries, uh, uh, the treasury bonds, they're now in overdrive because they're convinced we're on the verge of another lockdown. Bye, 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 hey, bye. they see the mask coming back. There's uncertainty over what was certain, a fundamental belief that the vast majority of people want to avoid getting COVID. That's now out the window. And just like that, the nation is beleaguered and beaten again. I'm convinced these worries about the Delta variant are what's driving long-term interest rates to such ludicrously low levels. At these levels, it's impossible for banks to bank as much money as we thought, right? I mean, they can't. Uh, they can't even make the money that they said they were going to make a week ago. We're back to a market where the financial technology plays think PayPal or Square go relentlessly higher while the banks languish. There are a lot more traditional deposit institutions than non-bank financials. So they're like a lead weight tying down these markets. We know that the travel and leisure industries are doing just fine. I mean, we just got good numbers from Southwest Air. I spoke to Gary Kelly this morning. American, United, both good. Uh, but the traders, they don't trust this bullishness. They aren't waiting for Delta, the airline, to beat numbers. They're waiting for Delta, the COVID variant, to beat us. Meanwhile, we still got the semiconductor shortages galore because most of the world's chip-making capacity is in Southeast Asia, and the whole region's being jarred by COVID. China's slowing, too, because their government insisted on using inferior homegrown vaccines. I think these issues are transitory, but they're enough to take down the automakers that desperately need the semis and the semi-shortage to be over. So we're out of cars, an important engine economy. Hey, by the way, we're out of homes, at least starter homes. Can't build them fast enough for people to move in. High-quality problem, but a problem nonetheless because housing punches above its weight in the economy. It gets worse. The fears of a Delta Force slowdown has made Wall Street deaf to all sorts of good news. Dow Chemical reports what may have been the best quarter in the history of Dow. Unbelievable amount of money. But when CEO Jim Fiddling talked to me about how the business is much better than previously thought, well, he's ignored. Stock gets clubbed. Then a funny thing happens. Treasury yields tag, so Dow's 4.6% dividend. It looks much more enticing than Treasuries. And that, not the unbelievable earnings, but that is what stabilizes the stock. Plus, we're seeing price increases galore because we thought demand would remain strong. Now we're not so sure. In the Delta slowdown scenario, prices could come down uh, from demand destruction and estimates could be too high. People think that Dow's estimates are too high. Now, here's the good news. I'm not going to give you bad news. I'm going to tell you what. Tell it to you straight here. The great American snag can end. I didn't say will. Can. The people who refuse to get vaccinated are still willing to go out, so the snag might not be as bad as the bears expect. Sure, it's like they're a fifth column that's deliberately trying to spread the virus. But if they took COVID seriously, they'd get the darn vaccine. More importantly, the snag will inevitably be rectified in one of two ways. The good way. The unvaccinated get freaked out by this latest outbreak, see the surging case count and the rising death toll, so they get their shots. Or the bad way, the unvaccinated get COVID, and those who survive will have antibodies that make it much harder for them to get infected again. Given the incredibly contagious uh, nature of the Delta variant, the bad way could happen a lot sooner 
that anyone might expect. Next thing you know, we get unsnagged. Bond prices sell off. The banks can rally again. The home builders catch up. Inflation cools down. Supply chain blockages get clear. Plus, we've got these fabulous tax credit, children tax credit. They're breathing a lot of life in back to school retail. So don't let all these worries freak you out. We saw what the snag can do during the three-day sell-off that ended with a bang on Monday. But I think it won't be long until we realize the market was unwilling to give up the ghost because this was the snag that refreshed, even as it scared the heck out of us. So let me give you the bottom line. All the people who refuse to get vaccinated, they're a major problem for our country. But I'm betting they won't do that much damage to the stock market. Either the Delta outbreak causes them to get religion and take their medicine, or they get infected. Now, I'd much rather the former than the latter. But either way, we're one step closer to the fabled herd immunity. Teresa in Virginia. Teresa. Hi, Mr. Kramer. Teresa, what's going on? Well, first, I want to thank you for adopting a rescue dog. Of that course. Is awesome. That's all we ever do. No, I know. I we, know. we go no to those kill, shatter, skill, those kill centers and we get those dogs. And, and that's what got- everybody has to do. That's right. Uh, My question is about uh, Tesla. A while back, a very smart, good-looking, mad-money guru named Jim Cramer was really liking Tesla and thought it was a good time to buy, which was great advice. I did. But now that there's so many other companies making the electric cars and there's so much more competition, do you think it's a good time to sell, buy more, or just hold on to what I have? First of all, I have to thank you for that fantastic uh a description of something that only my mother would believe in. Uh, but I will say this. I am a believer in Elon Musk, and I think Tesla's good. But there's a man out there. His name is Jim Farley. He runs Ford Motor, and he is gunning for Musk. I say in Ford versus Tesla, at least when it comes to the truck, he makes Musk truck look like the Aztec. So, yeah, you're right about competition, but I'm still with Elon. He's not with me. He doesn't even care for me at all. I don't really care. I like the stuff. Mark in Florida, Mark. How you doing, Jim? Thanks for taking my call and everything you do for the small investor. Oh, uh, thank you. That's who I live for. I talked to a lot of them yes. yesterday. I was waiting outside of a restaurant. People even taking <laughs> pictures of me, making fun of me. And you know what? I like that, too. What's up? I, I've been watching you since you've been with Cudlow, and you're the best. C- uh, Cudlow's a my, good my man. Question. Doesn't agree with me politically. He's a good man. What's up? Good. Uh, my wife and I both are investing in a company that uh, reported yesterday, and we thought that they knocked it out of the ballpark, and wanted to know your long-term uh, feelings on it. It's uh, Whirlpool. Okay. Look, this guy, I was talking, I'm going back and forth with Bitzer. I don't know, he calls himself doctor. I mean, he's a doctor what? I'll tell you, he's a doctor of profit. I like that stock. I like the product. We're Whirlpool House. I expect doctor, doctor, I like that. Dr. Bitzer will be on our show, and I'm going to give him the royal, the royal treatment of goodness because he's turned around that company. you got a winner there. Let's go to Don in Ohio. Don. Hi, Jim. Don. You recently had Biohaven Pharmaceutical on the show. I put them on my watch list. And now all I've done is watch it go up and up and up. Is it too late to start a position in Biohaven uh, Pharmaceutical? Biohaven, I can't, this is one of my good ones. It has doubled since I recommended it. But how do I know it's good? Because I take the product. I have to tell you, I don't think Biohaven can stay independent. Not at $7 billion, $8 billion, because Nurtech is perhaps one of the greatest blockbusters of our time. That's the pill I take when I sense a migraine's coming on. Boom. If I have a migraine, gone in 10 minutes. 
So I like Biohaven even up here. Memo to Pfizer, just go buy Biohaven. It'll take care of all your problems of that product hole that you have, your patent cliff. Hey, Memo to Bristol, same thing. Memo to Merck, same thing. What are these guys doing? All right, while the non-vaccinators are a major problem for the country, I don't think they'll do that much damage to the stock market. We can unsnag the snag. On Man Money Tonight, Domino's is soaring today following its earnings beat. Big, you know, greatest gainer in the S&P today. Should you pick up a piece of the pie? I'm talking with the CEO. Man, I'm introducing you to the Mad Money Workout Plan, telling you which fitness stocks could have you pumping profits. And AP Top Earnings Estimates today. I love that dividend. Could it make for an electric investment? I've got the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply need to hire you need indeed no pizza is safe from america's avaricious appetite from their parlors to your portfolios this company has delivered years of growth to a ravenous noid fearing class of investors With earnings hot out of the oven, is it time to double down on Domino's? I guess pizza never really goes out of style, does it? Domino's supported jaw-droppingly great quarter this morning. Quarter that stunned Wall Street because the company's up against some very tough comparisons. In the second quarter of last year, everybody was stuck at home. We had few dining options beyond pizza delivery. How the heck could Domino's beat that? 
Easily, that's how. Domino's crushed the estimates, delivering a 25-cent earnings beat off a $2.87 basis with higher-than-expected revenue of 12% year-over-year. Most important, the analysts were expecting a 1.4% decline in domestic same-store sales. Domino's gave you a 3.5% increase. Talk about keeping the sales that you gained during the pandemic. Their international sales, how about this, up 14%. Street was looking for 9 Oh, imagine threw in a $1 billion buyback for good measure. No wonder the stock pole voted nearly 15% higher today. So these results triggered a short squeeze as non-believers were caught betting a total against a total Kramer fave company that was buying so much stock itself. What were they thinking? How did these guys pull it off? Can they keep doing it? Let's check in with Rich Allison, the CEO of Domino's Pizza, learn more about the quarter and where he sees it going. Mr. Allison, welcome back to me, buddy. Congratulations on these spectacular numbers. Hey, thanks, Jim. It's great to be with you again. Okay, so Rich, you know I've been a big uh, believer and, of course, a huge customer of Domino's forever. And I just want, before we get into the quarter, can you put a little perspective about how the stock of Domino's has done versus, say, even, let's say, the most vaunted tech companies or, of course, any company in your industry? Well, you know, Jim, we've been, you know, really uh, fortunate, you know, to have our shares perform incredibly well, you know, over a long period of time. And, you know, the results stack up with just about any company you could find out there. And it, it really is driven you know, by the fact that we've just got a great underlying business model and fantastic franchisees and operators around the world that are serving our customers every day. That's what we stay focused on all the time. And, you know, the fact that the shares perform well is a really nice uh, output of that. Well, look, uh, from July of uh, 2004 till now, we're talking about 8,332% gain, S&P up 453%. So that pretty much says a lot. Now, a lot of people did figure, Rich, that once the pandemic was over and we could go out, uh, they would stop calling dominoes. It looks like that the opposite occurred. It, they found out how good it was and they're ordering more than ever, particularly in rural areas and particularly among people who are a little less affluent but really want a good meal. Yeah, Jim, you know, it, it's interesting. You know, back during COVID, we did get a nice you know, tailwind on the delivery business, particularly, you know, during the week and at lunchtime, you know, some day parts that weren't normally as big for us while folks were at home. But here as we get into the reopening, you know, of the of the country, we're starting to get some of that business back that actually faced a little bit of a headwind last year. So think about late night business. You think about the weekend business when people are gathering to watch a game or to have a family event or something like that. That went away last year. It's coming back this year. And we're seeing our carryout business really start to rebound, you know, as customers are more and more comfortable being out there in their cars and going out to pick up their pizzas. So, you know, a lot of folks thought of it as all tailwinds last year, but it was a mix of tailwinds and headwinds. And we're starting to get some of the benefits of, uh, of those things that worked against us last year. Now, it is important to point out that the company owned stores did not do as well as the franchisees. And you said that's geographic pretty much, correct? Yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, and you referenced this a little bit earlier, we, we did better in less affluent than more affluent areas, better in rural versus urban areas. And our corporate stores tend to be more concentrated, certainly in the urban areas, and also lean a little bit more toward the affluent uh, areas. There's also the dynamic that we've been a little more aggressive in fortressing our territories in those corporate store markets. So a little bit more of a headwind on the, on the comp. Uh, driven by the fact that we're opening more units. But right. all of that is toward our long-term goal of driving retail sales growth. So we're going to keep building those stores uh, because long-term it makes great sense for our business. You know, one of the things we love is the simplicity. We know exactly how much it costs. We know how much goes to you. 
you raise a great point later in the call when you talk about these third party aggregators and you're trying to figure out what you actually pay to them, to the people. I find that to be to be actually oppressive. I don't know who gets the money, who doesn't. I'm obviously not alone. Our customers, your customers really care about this, right? They do. You know, when you order from Domino's, you know, Jim, there are two things that we think are really important in that delivery experience. You know, one is that we're going to have a uniformed Domino's delivery expert bring that pizza to your door. That allows us to make sure that we control that quality uh, and that customer experience end to end. And then secondly, on that delivery fee, we charge a single transparent delivery fee. It may vary by market. You know, with some of our higher cost markets, we'll have higher delivery fees than some of the lower cost markets, but it's one fee and it's transparent to the customer. You don't have to get your calculator out or have a PhD to figure out what your pizza costs to come to your door. Simplicity wins. Okay, the Noid is back and it's a great ad. Noid versus Neuro. Are those vehicles, if I went to Texas, would I really see those vehicles? We absolutely are doing live uh, autonomous deliveries with this test that we're doing uh, in Houston, Jim. And we're just learning a lot about how the customer interacts with that robot when it shows up uh, at the uh, at the end of the driveway. And we're learning about how we interact with that robot uh, in our store operations. And it's just been a you know in this multi-week process that we've been in of testing and learning, we've just learned a ton because we know someday down the road, you know, we're going to be executing some of these deliveries with, with AVs and we need to get smart about it now as the technology continues to evolve. Well, it continues to be a theme that you guys have learned. Car side, pre-order, prepaid. These are the things we all love, isn't it, Rich? It is. You know, one of the, the big things that things that's happened during COVID is it's really pushed forward this trend around digital ordering of everything from food to all kinds of other merchandise. We were really fortunate to already have 70 percent of our U.S. sales uh, digital uh, at the uh, start of the pandemic. And it's 75 in the U.S. And, and holding now. Those digital orders are a better customer experience. And frankly, they're better for us as well. We do a better job of, of offering additional items. You know, our ticket is higher on those digital orders. And the prepayment by the customer you know, really speeds things up when the customer gets to our stores for both our team members and for getting that customer in and out of the parking lot. Well, you really nailed it. There's so many other good things. I urge people to conference call. I mean, terrific stuff we didn't even mention that China's got even 19 out of 20. So they're going to get more. These guys can do even more digital and all sorts of just great stuff about even just little things about prefolding boxes. Now, it's better to not have them than have them. So much to learn about Domino's. So you stay long the stock. Rich Allison, CEO of Domino's Pizza. I love having you on. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Jim. Guys, what can I say? Love the pizza, love the stock. Try that pizza with no cheese. I swear to God, it's the best. Mad Money's back here for the break. Coming up, it's never too late to get it. And never too early to pump up your portfolio with some lean, mean moneymakers. Save the sweating for your workout and pedal through Kramer's Foxy Fitness Plays. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Even with COVID cases making an alarming comeback among the unvaccinated, people are still going on vacation this summer after more than a year of home confinement. But as we heard from Chip Berg, the CEO of Levi's, a few weeks ago, when I was talking to him, I was walking the street, roughly 35% of American consumers have changed waists, waist sizes since the beginning of the pandemic. Berg was evasive about the general direction of those changes, but let's be real. Lots of people are now dealing with the COVID-19 which is a lot like the freshman 15. As I've told you many times, most people are pretty vain. Anything that helps us look good is usually a good bet. So now we've got a situation where summer's here, the gyms have been allowed to reopen, and tens of millions of people feel compelled to lose weight. So how do we play it? Not long ago, you really only had two quality choices. You could buy a connected exercise equipment play in the form of Peloton, or a rapidly growing gym chain in the form of Planet Fitness. Now, though, there are two new ones. Last week, we got a new IPO, uh, F45 Training Holdings, a group training-focused chain of gyms that's backed up by Mark Wahlberg. Young people only know him as an actor, but if you're older, you can't forget his musical career. F45's got Marky Mark. Marky Mark, can, can F45, here's an interesting question, can they get the rest of the funky bunch? Davis. On top of F45 training, tomorrow there's another gym outfit. It's called Exponential Fitness. Now, this is a roll-up of franchise boutique fitness brands. They have 1,800 locations across North America. I had never even heard of them until the IPO. While Peloton and Planet Fitness haven't exactly been great performers this year, they both peaked in the first half and spent months rolling over. You know, I think we're headed for a phenomenal bull market in fitness. I'm not kidding. I think this is going to be a great moment for all these stocks. So I'm very, very positive on the group, especially since many of the more marginal players were wiped out by the pandemic. Now that America's ready to go out again, the remaining operators can make fortunes by helping people get back in shape. Last man standing. So how do we play it? All right, let's lace up our sneakers, do some stretching. Dog, you know, dog down, plank. Hey, I can do really good plank. Trust me. We've got three gyms here and one equipment maker. So we'll start with the odd man out. I'm going to start with Peloton. Now, we know Peloton was a huge COVID winner when we were stuck at home. Their connected fitness machines were the best options if you wanted to work out. But 2021 is a very different story. As the vaccine program got rolling, Wall Street embraced the great reopening stocks and dumped the COVID winners, Peloton included. According to the Bulls, Peloton could keep winning even as the world goes back to normal because they built a powerful brand and people's Peloton habits have become ingrained. Remember, they don't just sell equipment. These are connected devices, and they also sell subscriptions to all sorts of virtual classes. That's where the money is. 
Meanwhile, last month, the company rolled out a new corporate wellness program where they partnered with businesses on corporate benefit programs that effectively give employees access to subsidized pricing on Peloton subscription services. Hey, yesterday we found out that we're working with United Health, the best United Health Group, to offer free Peloton trial memberships to four million of their insurance customers. These guys are such good business people. But last week, Peloton got hit with a big downgrade. Biden neutral from Wedbush was thoughtful. They're worried about slowing engagement numbers, rising competition. That's both in the form of reopened gyms and also hardware companies that are increasingly coming out with connected products that rival Pelotons. My view. Hey, look, I totally get where the bulls are coming from. And I also thought that Wedbush knew what it was doing. But let me just tell you something. The Wedbush uh, downgrade, it resonated with me especially the part about competition. You know, Lulu's gotten into the connected exercise equipment business. In the end, Peloton, it's become a battleground stock. And you know I like to stay away from battlegrounds simply because they're too darn hard. I don't want to be a buyer if you think the new COVID variants will send us back into lockdown and on to our Pelotons. Next up is Planet Fitness. Now, this company's growing like a weed before the pandemic. And uh, thanks to its judgment-free ethos, you know, we love to talk to them when they come on. Low price point. Both great ways of bringing in new customers. Given that 17 percent of American gyms have gone under since the start of the pandemic, I think this is the last man standing play. Plus, this, uh, we spoke with CEO Chris Rondo not that long ago. After the company reported what was a disappointing quarter, he still came on. He didn't stop. He told a compelling story about improving membership trends. However, Planet Fitness saw its stock peak earlier this spring, too. And it's been stuck in the low to mid-70s for months now. What could get it moving? Planet Fitness needs to start beating expectations again. I believe that will happen eventually as the world goes back to normal. But, oh, you might need to be patient. You got my blessing to put a, say, uh, a small position on right now ahead of their earnings report uh, early next month. Either they return to form and the stock goes higher or they miss again. And you can buy more into weakness because it is a quality company. All right. How about these new ones? I find these new ones very intriguing. First of all, last week, F45 training came public. This one's got an interesting niche. It's a gym that focuses on group classes. I happen to like group classes very much. I like the competitive aspect of them. F45 is a lot more hardcore than Planet Fitness. You know what? Why don't we let just, why don't we have Mark Wahlberg explain it? I'm diehard fitness enthusiasts who don't have the schedule of got to do it in the middle of the night or first thing in the morning. You want to get on a bike. That's fine. But eventually that becomes, you know, stagnant. It's boring. You want to be in there with the energy of people working out with you, alongside of you, inspiring you, pushing you and supporting you. That was on the floor of the exchange. A couple of people confused me with Mark. I told him, no, no, that's Mark Wilberg. It happens all the time. Now, F45 is all about franchises. By last month, they had sold 2,800 franchises and had 1,550 open studios. They're also using some of the proceeds from the IPO to buy a company called Flywheel out of bankruptcy. This is a SoulCycle competitor. These are really savvy guys. I was quite impressed when I spoke to them on the floor. And then met another one for, uh, for a cocktail, cocktail later on and was just really impressed with this management team. Where do I come down? I like the financials. I like the fact that F45 has been profitable for ages. I like the same store sales. They're poised to flip from negative to positive very soon. If not this quarter, then the next one. I like that they've got a ton of new franchises that are about to open at the perfect moment. F45 did a bad timing with its IPO, though. Stock got obliterated when the market sold off on Monday. It's now made up a big chunk of those losses. It's basically back to the IPO pros. And you got my blessing to buy this one. It's a little speculative, but you got my blessing. Uh, leave a little room. Uh, I buy it a little bit more if it gets hammered. But I got to tell you, 
this is a, this is a play that if Delta variant goes away or gets under control, you buy X, you buy F45. Now, how about this one tomorrow? Exponential fitness. Really interesting. I'm intrigued. It's a gym roll up. They're taking advantage of a weak moment for the industry to acquire lots of struggling smaller gyms all over the country that actually have a fan base. This is a premium outfit like F45, but it's got more breath. They do yoga, bar method, boxing, rowing, cycling, running classes. In terms of the financials, Exponential and F45 are remarkably similar in size. Exponential has higher sales. F45 is more profitable, better balance sheet. I like that F45 on that one. I think Exponential could be the higher risk, higher growth option. We've got to see how the IPO plays out tomorrow. Let me give you the bottom line. If you want to play the pending fitness, boom. I think Peloton's too much of a battleground. Planet Fitness, good sleeper play. New ones, exponential fitness, kind of interesting. But boy, this F45 training, if you're patient, do some homework, I think. Buy, buy, buy! That's the one to buy. I want to go to Anderson in Mississippi. Anderson! Booyah! Jimmy Chill! Yo, chill man in the house watching Snap do well, thinking you know what? There's a lot of younger people buying stocks. What's happening? That's right. I got one for you. Anderson Mooney, I'm from Oxford, Mississippi. I'm calling about Celsius Holdings. In June, some insiders sold shares, causing the stock to drop to 60 from 83. And you can't blame them after the run-up prior. Celsius has under a $5 billion market cap compared to Monster's $50 billion. With some smooth price action sense and heading into earnings, would you give your blessing to well, the well, long you, position here? You know we like this one. We brought them on when this stock was much, much lower. I've, I have been a believer in this company. Now, I have to tell you, I've been drinking all these different ones. I should be drinking theirs. Oh, my God, PepsiCo's got a new killer. It has five caffeine. It has more caffeine in it than, any, than, than you know, a bag of 8 o'clock for coffee. Anyway, listen to me. If you want to play the COVID-induced fitness boom, got a bunch of options. Put on a small position in Planet Fitness. Consider the newer place. This F45 training, I'm telling you, it's good. Exponential Fitness should work, too. But remember, please do your homework and be patient. All right, much more we have money in. Could AP power up your portfolio after earnings? I'm talking with the CEO, and I love that dividend. Then there's a way to end this pandemic. It won't be easy. I'm going to explain it. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. American Electric Power, which owns the country's largest power transmission network, along with some big power generation assets, just reported a pretty good quarter. Overall solid, though the stock barely budged in response. It was up big in the morning. While AP sales came in roughly in line, they also posted a five-cent earnings beat off a $1.13 basis, raised their full-year earnings forecast for the second quarter in a row. Stock's been stuck in the 80s for months, but they do pay you that juicy 3.5% yield, and it is safe. That's taken from me. So what's going to take for AEP to start moving higher again? Let's check in with Nick Akins, the chairman and CEO of American Electric Power. Get a better read on, on the quarter, company's prospects, and, of course, the nation's prospects, given it's such a big transmission unit. Mr. Akins, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to be with you again, Jim. Nick, i got to tell you, this residential is very, very strong. Give us a read on this economy. Yeah, so it's pretty clear we thought that residential, particularly the work-from-home environment, would stick for a while. It certainly has. If you looked at uh, last year, we we gained about 6.2% on residential load. We're down 3.1% this quarter. So what that says is is that some of the residential load is actually sticking because of that work-from-home environment. Yeah, see, I thought that was really a very telling figure, as was for the first time you really spent a lot of time talking about charging stations. Are they going to be a factor for you? 
Yeah, um, certainly the investment that's required for us uh, to continue to electrify this nation uh, will continue to be a benefit, not only transmission, charging stations, infrastructure, the whole transition that we're going through toward a clean energy economy is going to be really great for this company and this industry. You spend a big, you got a, what, 3,000 megawatt uh, wind coming, uh, sol- 300 solar. Are these economic projects now? They're actually yeah, make sense, right? Oh, yeah, they absolutely make sense, because when you invest in these kinds of facilities, yes, you have the capital costs, but there's no fuel costs. So the overall benefit to the customer's uh, bills will be uh, certainly a savings associated with that. So it turns out to be a great outcome. Now, there's a moment in the conference call where you call Texas as a great microcosm. Is that because in Texas there are people who have interest in natural gas, but there's also a huge amount of wind that's very economic, so it kind of represents the competing interests in our country? Yeah, absolutely. I think that you have the fossil fuel part of it and the nature of how that is addressed to make sure the system is resilient. Uh, certainly Storm Uri sort of showed that uh, in relation to the adapt- adaptation of renewables uh, along the, the effort, and there's a lot of renewables being placed in Texas. So when you think about that, uh, that system, uh, which is not interconnected electrically other than a few DC ties, but nevertheless, it's not electrically connected. So it winds up being sort of a microcosm of what we see in the future relative to how the grid will operate. Now, a lot of work needs to be done, and legislatively they're working on that. Uh, but there's, it really is a sense of the further electrification and, and the activities of technology and how they're deployed on the grid. Well, one of the things that I think you have got a great read on, I once read a piece once about how uh, Chancellor Merkel wanted to put solar everywhere. But she was reminded that it's not sunny everywhere in Germany. How much That's of your right. region is windy enough or sunny enough to make it work? Yeah, so we continue to test the boundaries of that all the time. And I used to think it was only like 8% that could be deployed in terms of renewables. Now, you know, here we are progressing toward 50% renewables. So when the technology continues to improve, whether storage, whether other applications on the grid itself, and making sure you have 24-7 baseload capacity that can provide energy when you need it, uh, during the dead of winter or the war- or, or the warm summer, uh, then you have an opportunity to really optimize that across the footprint. So it really makes a lot of sense to continue that transition. You know, there, there's a, also a point where you're kind of a little philosophic about the notion of what does the federal government really have to do for incentives? And it, I, I don't want to read you incorrectly, put words in your mouth, but to some degree, the capital markets are solving this problem. Yeah, obviously. I, our industry and the capital markets themselves continue to develop around this clean energy economy. There's plenty of incentives because our shareholders expect it, our customers expect it, and we're going to continue moving that direction. So as technology advances and the ability to adopt and deploy that across the system uh, continues to occur, we're going to continue to see those benefits. So there's plenty of incentives. The government really needs to focus on specific areas to move more quickly in that regard. And that's really what uh, they need to do and not encroach upon what capital markets and private investing are already doing. Yeah, I think that's important because it's not left or right. It's actually just like, you know, don't don't help the capital markets with the capital markets are working great. We wouldn't do that elsewhere. You uh, uniquely uh, have huge number of employees and yet you don't ever talk about how hard it is to find people. Is that because traditionally American Electric Power and the different uh, parts of the company just pay more than everybody else? 
I think it really is a matter of the culture of the company. When employees come here, they see a great culture and they want to continue working here. But also, there's no doubt that the workforce is changing dramatically and the skills in certain areas are certainly a national focus. So you're competing across uh, the U.S. for talent. And we're going to continue to have that kind of approach. And there's no, no doubt that we'll have to remain market competitive and stay ahead in many respects to ensure that we can continue the sustainability of our operations going forward. Uh, one last question, speaking of sustainability. I am watching coal uh, being, being transported furiously by the rails because of all the switching going on because natural gas got to be too expensive. That can't be a long-term trend, can it, given the fact that we're transitioning away from coal? Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be a, a long-term transition to continue that development of using coal and natural gas uh, the least amount that you can, much like an insurance policy, to make sure you can satisfy energy needs when customers demand them. But generally speaking, renewables will start to layer in, and as well, nuclear and other resources, and we'll continue to see that further optimization. So, yeah, it's going to continue um, reductions in coal, and also natural gas will be used in the proper way to enable more clean energy uh, emphasis, not to mention if carbon capture usage and storage occurs, then perhaps those, those uh, fossil uh, fuels can continue to be relevant as well. Well, I'm glad you guys are moving things along. It's really amazing. I know there's resistance in certain places because natural gas is very important to the economy. But we like, look, the nation's interest is wind and solar. We know that, especially that you helped yeah. to make it so economic. Nick Akins, AP's chairman, president, and CEO. Thank you, Nick, for coming on Mad Money again. Thanks, Jim. Guys, are you okay? Why do I have Nick on? Why, why, because this is the safest good yield and he always has a great view of the economy. Man, money's back in for the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. It is time! It's time to the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski dead. Over the lightning round. Let's start with Richard in California. Richard. Hey, Jim. Fantastic show. Today Thank I'm you, Richard. The, today I'm calling up the only pure play in this part of the medical space. The company just got one of its AI algorithms FDA approved, allowing detection of breast cancer two years earlier than anyone else. It allows their mammal machines to see three times more patients per day and greatly improves accuracy. All metrics of the business are exploding higher. The company I'm asking about is RadNet. Yeah, that's a good, that's a diagnostic center company. It's really good. You've, you've crowdsourced the greatness there. I think you've done a lot of work on it. I agree with you. It's one of those, that, it's a niche one that I'm always trying to find. I've spent too much time looking at the HCAs. I need to go to Steve in New Jersey. Steve! Hey, Jim. How are you doing tonight? I am doing well, thank you. How about you? Doing well. Um, you mentioned auto retail stocks a few times. Yes. I was doing research, and I came up with this one. What's your opinion of Asbury Auto Group? I always thought, you know, i got a place in Asbury Park, so I always look at Asbury Group. It's real good. That's not, it's not the same because this company is a southern company. But I like Asbury. I'm telling you, Lithia had, had such an unbelievable number the other day. Carvana's good. Uh, auto Nation had a good number. But Lithia's the star of the show right now. I mean, I think Lithia's great. I need to go to Richard Washington. Richard! A lot of Whoa, Mr. Mr. Kramer, I love you so much. Oh, I love man, you so. You. you, 
you're the best. Anyway, this company, this company I'm, I'm trying to ask you about is actually going to be the de facto of online marketplace and digital payments provided in the whole Africa. Currently operates in like over 11 countries. Um, it's Jumia Technologies. I, I, I really wanted to know what you yeah, think Jimmy, about I that. Jumia, I don't know. There's something that matter with it. It trades the way it does. I like Mercado Libre if I'm going to be able to do that kind of business in the South. I think it's better. Remember, I also like how eBay's turned around. And don't forget Shopify, please. I know it's a little bit uh, attenuated from your pick, but Shopify's amazing. How about we go to Craig? You're my old state in Pennsylvania. Craig! Hey, what's going on, Jimmy Chill? How you feeling today? The Chill Man has been loving my missions, called These sweethearts at the Wall Street Bed. I got to adopt them oh, all. Man. They're like stray dogs. What's up? That, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank I you. I, well, I feel you. Yeah, the Chill Man loves everybody. Go ahead. <laughs> I was talking about the stock. Uh, they report earnings next week on the 28th. It's called InMode, I-N-M-D. Yeah, but that thing has run so much. Again, I mean, everyone knows I love these I love these device companies um, ever since I found, found Novacure. Look it's, look, it's a great company. It's just up a great deal. I just need you to know the stock may be too high. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, hot, hot, Mike. Make sense of the day's most critical market machinations in no time flat. Stick with Kramer for a special no huddle next. As COVID cases spike courtesy of aggressive new strains and anti-vaccine idiocy, how can this pandemic end? One way or another, it ends when we reach herd immunity, as I mentioned at the top of the show. There's the easy way. Everybody gets vaccinated or the hard way. Everybody who's not vaccinated gets infected. Yesterday, there was this horrifying piece in The Wall Street Journal about the hard way. India's COVID-19 death toll is likely in the millions, study finds. According to the Indian Council of Medical Research, two-thirds of Indians now have antibodies against the virus. Only 6% of the population is fully vaccinated, meaning more than half the country has gotten COVID at some point. That's that Delta variant. Okay, that leaves only 400 million people who most likely get infected unless they get their hands on the vaccine, which could translate into at least a million deaths. That's horrific. At that point, India will reach herd immunity, though, and the virus will run out of lives to take. We're seeing the same catastrophic process play out all over the globe. Many countries like India or Brazil, the mortality rate will be appallingly high. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got rich countries that went all in on vaccination. In the United Kingdom, more than 70 percent of the adult population is fully vaccinated. So they're very close to reaching herd immunity the right way. What about our country? We're a nation uniquely divided between those who desperately want the vaccine and those who desperately don't want it. The new strains are so aggressive that there's really no way to avoid getting COVID if you're unvaccinated. You're going to get it. But if you get the shots from Moderna or Pfizer, your odds of catching this thing are astonishingly low. Now, what do these two camps mean for the economy? People who have been vaccinated have no reason to fear going out and about. People who refuse to get vaccinated clearly aren't that worried either. Otherwise, they'd get jabbed. There are a lot of reasons why people won't get vaccinated. Some of them think COVID is no worse than the flu. Some of them figure they'll get sick either way. Some of them believe in crackpot conspiracy theories that paint the vaccine as somehow more dangerous than the virus. I bet there are people who get a flu shot every year, yet refuse to get the COVID shot because they think it's evil. 
Given the speed of the Delta variant, it's going to cut a swath through the states with the lowest vac- vaccination rates for certain. As the case numbers and hospitalizations and, uh, and, and then death toll rises, I expect more of the anti-vax types to throw in the towel and take the medicine. But the ones who don't are almost guaranteed to get sick. Could be an easy asymptomatic infection, could be fatal. Either way, once you've been infected, you'll likely have the antibodies to create your immunity. We know that's the trajectory because that's how pandemics always play out. When the Spanish flu struck in 1918, only infected 500 million people, about a third of the world, and it killed 20 to 50 million of them. By the spring of 1920, though, the virus had run its course. Everybody had either gotten it or died. On the other hand, when the government gets serious about vaccinating everybody, we can reach herd immunity the easy way, which is how we pretty much wiped out smallpox and polio in this country. Many of the anti-vaxxers wouldn't be alive if their parents and grandparents ignored the advice to get polio and TB vaccine. Oh, and no fewer than seven va- vaccines are, are mandatory for most K-12 schools throughout this country. I'm beginning to think the regions with low vaccination rates will end up reaching herd immunity the bad way, the Spanish flu way. That's right. You either get it or you die. Okay, that's it. This morning, Dr. Scott Leib, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, who is so good. I don't know if you ever catch him. He's on Squawk Box. He's the former head of the FDA. He came on our air and he said the Delta variant is so contagious that we could see it peak in just a few months. Judging by what's happening in India, it could be even faster than that. It's a way for the pandemic to end, but it's a terrible way. We could stop it in this country by getting more aggressive about vaccinations. But for now, it looks like the government's leaving the choice up to you. Either get your shots or get the virus. It's a terrible way to go. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.